Thank you so much for tuning in to NL Newsday here. It is October the 25th, the first day of the work week. It is a Monday, so as always, pleased to welcome to the program Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Okay, I want to start with this sort of... I don't want to call it like a bombshell or anything, but I thought it was a little peculiar to hear uh, Employment Minister Carla Qualtro speaking out here in regards to people not complying with mandatory COVID-19 vaccine policies. She was speaking on, uh, well, she spoke over the weekend anyway and kind of noted that people who are not complying with COVID-19 vaccine policies from their employer could not be eligible for employment insurance. She said, quote, it's a condition of employment that has not been met and the employer choosing to terminate someone for that reason would make that person ineligible for EI, end quote. I mean, is that something that makes sense to you? Uh, I'm a little... A little miffed, I suppose, on exactly whether or not this would be something that the government could move through on. I have some quotes from lawyers I want to get to, but just sort of your overall thoughts on people potentially being ineligible for employment insurance, which they pay into uh, if they were to, uh, I guess, be dismissed for not complying with their terms of employment. Well, I mean, employment insurance is there uh, in the event that you lose your employment and you can't find alternative employment to sort of be a stopgap uh, to allow you to uh, to earn a living while you're looking for new employment. But if you do something to cause yourself to lose your employment, like effectively you you get yourself fired, you don't always qualify for employment insurance. It's not an absolute that you're going to be able to collect EI. And so the government taking the position that this could make a person ineligible for employment insurance because it was a condition of employment and because therefore they weren't, or they no longer qualified to hold that job, it's not entirely surprising to me, although it is, I think, going to be a difficult battle for the government to justify not providing employment insurance in these circumstances. Does the situation differ, I suppose, if you are because I don't know if you can be effectively terminated for refusing to get vaccinated, but you could be put on basically like a permanent non-paid leave as a result of refusing to get vaccinated. Does that terminology change how this can be approached? That can change the situation if you're, you know, if your employment is terminated, absolutely, versus if you're just placed on leave without pay, um, your employment prospects in the future um, and your ability to get back into the workforce changes, which changes how uh, employment insurance uh, can be administered. Okay. Um, yeah. So I saw this one quote from a lawyer who was kind of reacting to the quotes from Employment Minister Qualtrough, and he said, you know, I support employers bringing in vaccine policies, but I also believe that it is not just just cause to dismiss employees who decline to comply. More seriously, the minister should not comment on how she feels the EI Act should be interpreted by EI umpires. Um, she and, and effectively calling that interference. Do you do you view quotes from uh, a minister who is obviously <laughs> this is her portfolio as interference? I I, I don't yeah, I, necessarily see it that way. I don't think so at all. I mean, because if, if ministers were interfering in the political decision-making or the adjudicative decision-making by simply providing their interpretations of how legislation should be applied, we would have a lot of problems. You know, a great example of this is Mike Farnworth, often talking about his views about distracted driving or impaired driving or uh, red light cameras or things like that that have been very, you know, well-documented in the media. And yet that doesn't change how the courts, at the end of the day in traffic, 
appellate court interprets the evidence and the arguments and the defenses, um, the courts do their job independently of what ministers think or ministers believe. And public statements that are made by the ministers to the media are not the same as statements that are made by ministers when bills are being debated or introduced in the legislation as far as them forming part of a record um, to aid in an interpretive exercise done by a person who is interpreting how to apply legislation on the ground. And, and the other part of this quote, which you and I have spoken to a number of times, but I'll just get you to sort of reiterate your, your thoughts on this. But the, this lawyer said, um, I believe it is not just cause to dismiss employees who decline to comply with mandatory vaccines. Uh, I believe you have the opposite view of that, if I'm not mistaken. I do indeed. Um, You know, your employer can create conditions of employment um, and those conditions of employment can absolutely relate to issues of safety and occupational health uh, in the workplace. And so if they if an employer wants to create a a vaccine mandate at the office and dismiss employees who don't get vaccinated in a reasonable period of time with notice that this is what's going to happen, then that's the employer's prerogative. Now, an employee may have a a strong argument or even a a weak argument against uh, the dismissal, depending upon the type of workplace they're in. If you're in, you know, working from home and that's your normal work situation and you get dismissed for not being vaccinated, you might have a good case to say, you know what, this wasn't rationally connected to any occupational health or safety or anything that I'm doing in the workplace. It has nothing to do with my ability to perform my job and, and the safety of others around me. But for the vast majority of people who are returning, to offices, working um, in front-facing public jobs, working around other people, um, there's an easy case to be made for why uh, vaccines should be mandatory and why an employer should be entitled to make them mandatory as a condition of employment. Would you anticipate, and just kind of going back to the whole uh, employment insurance part of this, if we do start to see a lot of uh, EI claims being denied as a result of this, do you view or or anticipate we could see some, some type of a challenge coming forward on this, probably not by individuals, but by some sort of lobby group, I suppose? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there there will undoubtedly be challenges to uh, workplace vaccination policies. We've seen the RCMP, for example, the head of their union come out and say that they're going to support union members who are laid off uh, or, or put on leave without pay as a result of refusal to get vaccinated. Um, there are other unions who are, are going to be backing their members um, in, in these types of situations. And of course, there are lawyers, <laughs> as one has <laughs> already indicated and quoted for you, um, that believe that the vaccine mandates um, in the workplace go too far and that there's an employment case there. So people, you know, people will litigate this and and the courts will ultimately decide whether or not it is justifiable reason to terminate somebody's employment. All right. Well, we'll leave that for now, but uh, definitely an interesting conversation that is going to play out here in the days and weeks and maybe even months ahead. I wanted to move on to the province here and the Freedom of Information Act. Obviously, there's some proposals being put on the table year by the majority NDP government, uh, and there's a lot of concerns. We've already seen the Privacy Commissioner come out, Michael McAvoy, and speak to his concerns about a number of the proposed changes on the table, and they include the possibility of implementing a fee just to file an FOI request. Um, and the, the the other big part of this that concerns me was storing data outside of the country, people's personal data outside of Canada. Uh, but I just wanted to go back to maybe or not go back to, but ask your stance on, on freedom of information. Is this something that uh, you, as a lawyer here in this province of BC, do you ever have to like file FOI requests yourself? Is this a service that you utilize yourself? 
Oh, absolutely. We file FOI requests all the time. Um, an FOI can be done um, for reasons related to getting additional evidence in our clients' cases that isn't compellable by any statute or process. And that can help our clients prove their innocence or can help our clients refute allegations that are made against them. Uh, we also do FOIs routinely as part of our office work to monitor problems with breathalyzer maintenance, calibration, um, government uh, action in relation to breath testing, blood testing, uh, all of that stuff is is compellable by freedom of information requests, and it actually gives us the basis that we've had over the years to bring a lot of the challenges that we have to impaired driving legislation um, and impaired driving prosecutions in this province. Now, of course, when you're you're talking about being able to secure that type of evidence and going through FOI to do that, that's obviously not a personal reason to be using an FOI. And so if you look at the way the government has tabled this uh, this amendment, if you will, uh, that you would be charged a fee assuming they go ahead and implement one. Premier Horgan last yeah. week trying to go back saying, we haven't actually put a fee on the table. We've just sort of left the window open to implement one if we so choose. Well, if you're going to do that, then one's going to be coming. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this probably doesn't necessarily increase your own cost because you're probably going to end up down downloading this onto clients, I would assume. So this is still something that's going to impact the general population, even if, you know, from a personal point of view, FOI is probably not something a whole lot of people care about when they're walking around doing their day-to-day -day thing. Uh, but this really does have wide-reaching impacts, doesn't it? It does have wide-ranging impacts, and, you know, we might see people coming up with clever ways around it, like, for example, uh, lawyers having their clients make the FOI request mm -hmm. personally uh, in their personal capacity, but that, of course, can raise issues if the government doesn't comply with uh, disclosing the data in a reasonable period of time. And we already know that there are long delays in obtaining FOI disclosure. A government is going to be more motivated to drag their heels when it comes to an individual who's inexperienced with filing FOIs than somebody like our office where, you know, we file FOIs, we can monitor them, we know how to do the complaints process, we can make a submission to the Information and Privacy Commissioner. This is all stuff that we do as lawyers. It's easy for us. It's not easy for individuals. And I don't think that the situation with the delay is going to get better. Um, and certainly not if, if people are, are being encouraged by their counsel, for example, to make the uh, FOI request in their personal capacity. Did, did you have a chance to see the Premier's comments on this last week? I mean, he was really trying to downplay the fact that anyone should care at all about this. Well, yeah, I mean, holding up his phone to show the screen of his phone to try and show that he has nothing to hide, even though in this draft legislation they removed the premier's office as a, an organization that could be subject to FOI, uh, it, it, it really didn't instill confidence in me that this is a process that's being designed to improve the system. There are other ways that the government could improve the FOI process. If they were trying to deal with people who are chronic uh, FOI mm -hmm. uh, makers who make too many requests, they could, you know, give you so many requests that at no cost and then impose a cost after that. Um, you know, they could, they could cap the number of uh, requests that you could make in a certain period of time without mm -hmm. prior authorization from the Freedom of Information and Privacy Commissioner, very similar to we see people being limited in their ability to file court applications without leave from the court if they're using the courts too much and are determined to be a vexatious or a frivolous litigant. There are other ways to deal with those things that they're identifying as problems, which I also don't believe are real problems. 
I think this is fascinating. I, I was surprised when this even came forward. And again, I don't think this is something that necessarily Joe Schmo on the street is too worried about. But I do think it is something that people should have a little bit of concern about. So uh, I appreciate your comments on that. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll leave it at that for now since we're coming up on the clock here. But uh, really appreciate your time as always, Kyla. Thanks so much. And uh, it'll be fascinating to see how this FOI stuff moves through the, the process. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Awesome stuff. Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee joining me here on Monday, as she always does at the first day of the work week.